Welcome to the State of the Lakers post-game show versus the Kings. Jason is out tonight. Uh, he was a game-time decision, but he's on a ski trip, and so he decided to take this one off. So I'll be solo here, so kind of bear with me. Uh, this was a tough one, of course. I was, you know, lower on the Memphis loss than others. I didn't really think it was that big of a deal, like as big a deal as people thought. I have Memphis kind of in closer to the Utah Phoenix tier than the one the bundle up of the West with us, the Mavs, Clippers, uh, etc. So I wasn't really mad at that. We went we won our last, I believe, six games, uh, other than the two Memphis losses. But tonight was definitely a step back. We'll get into it. Russ obviously is again the uh the poster story. Uh his plays will be plastered everywhere, and I'll definitely get into him. We scored 67 points in that first half. So this game was definitely winnable. You were up six. Honestly, to me, this game was lost on the defensive end here. The Kings really ran simple actions. And, you know, you can blame continuity. You can blame effort. I think all of those things are kind of intertwined. And I'm going to try to kind of put some uh, clips up here of stuff that I'm talking about. So, again, people listening on the pod uh, or on Dash Radio tomorrow, I'll kind of explain the play. It's pretty simple. So the first play is kind of up there. And I'm going to try to, you know, integrate basketball plays into the, you know, into the podcast a little bit here so I can kind of have a little bit more visuals so it's a little easier to see. But the first tweet is up there now. So the Kings run this double draft screen, and it's pretty simple here. They run it, the, and they ran this all night, right? And it's basically just two screens for their guard against whoever's defending, uh, whoever's against Malik Monk or Avery Bradley or someone that we can't switch against, right? And it was layup after layup or corner three after corner three. It was. And look, I don't uh, I don't know how to like start this, but we lost this game defensively. And the rust stuff is super frustrating, obviously. And, and he ended a lot of our big runs. But I thought LeBron wasn't engaged on that end. And I don't blame LeBron for and that's my kind of first point. I don't blame LeBron for not being engaged defensively every single night. Right. Because he has a huge scoring load. Like that's just what he has on his on his plate every night. He has to score 30, 30 points for us to be competitive. But when you go small ball, your big has to be engaged. And on these plays, we have no clue who the help guy is supposed to be. And again, I'm not sure where that responsibility lies, but Stanley or Russ have to kind of step in here or LeBron has to show and recover back to Bagley. And this is, I just picked one play. This was one of the first plays of the game. And we never really even adjusted to this the Kings scored every single point pretty much in the paint they were four for 14 from three in the first half and still put up 60 something points um and that's kind of where I want to start with this because AD is going to be out a little bit longer as well and we can't just go into a nosedive here I would have liked to see Dwight Howard play a little bit play a little bit more but there has to be an identity to go along with the small ball where we have a defensive identity as well and this is stuff that I just saw all night I could have picked you know five more plays of that Darren Fox got right to the basket. I thought Austin Reeves was our, you know, best defender on him tonight. I'll get into Austin um, a little bit later and kind of why I think he needs to play more. But Darren Fox got layup after layup. Looking at the, you know, plus minus always isn't, isn't always the best, you know, barometer for things like that. But Dwight Howard was a plus nine tonight in 15 minutes. I don't think that's an accident. Uh, the Kings went up big twice, actually. I thought both our runs came from playing Dwight and. I understand we want to move our identity and I want to keep, you know, I'm trying to keep this podcast a little bit more on tonight. That's what happens when you do a post game show every day, but we're trying to move to this small ball identity, but it can't be this rigid, right? Like there has to be some leeway 
for versatility here because if LeBron's not going to be engaged, and again, I don't blame him for that because of his scoring load, like I talked about, but you have to kind of switch up here. I think, you know, Dwight Howard should have played more. Now, does that change the outcome of this game? Who knows, right? And, and I think, you know, the offensive stuff is our issues as well. But I think the defense has to get better, man. There has to be some kind of identity there because we gave up way too many points in the paint. And we came back out of the second half with the same energy, with the same effort. And it really felt like we could outscore the Kings tonight, right? Like that's kind of uh, what I felt. That That's kind of how we operated this whole game. We were scoring at ease. Our jumpers were going down. And once those didn't go down, the Kings, you know, just continued to score at the basket. I thought De'Aaron Fox got layup after layup. And again, that double drag scheme is just one kind of operation of them. If you could see it up there for whoever just came in, Kings ran that. They ran a, just a simple ball screen. And our rotations were so off, which is so against what a Vogel team is. Um, if you remember last year, LeBron and AD went down, but our defense stayed number one. And I don't expect this team's defense to stay number one, of course. the You know, the personnel is totally different. But the scheme still, it just feels like it's off a little bit. And we have guys who help in different places. And we definitely have people that players go at. I talked about they went at Malik Monk and Avery Bradley a ton because they know that we're not going to switch those actions, right? So when when the Kings run this double drag, they make you operate in more of a drop type of coverage. Um, and, and we really got destroyed with that. And I just didn't see enough adjustments there. I thought Dwight Howard was just a nice player to put in there. Just to get, just to change it up, and I love that they kind of, he kind of mirrored his minutes with Alex Land. I just wish we closed with that. I wish we closed the half with that as well, right? Because I thought De'Aaron Fox just got to the basket. The Kings weren't even hitting their outside outside shots tonight, like I talked about, four for fourteen from three. They got a little bit hot in the third quarter, uh, but when you score sixty-seven points like that, you should be up more at halftime. And you know, I was I was a little bit worried about that. And again, like I. I don't agree to the fact that, you know, the loss to Memphis or even the loss to the Kings tonight throws away the stuff we've kind of built up in our small ball identity. Because, again, this is a new team. This is a new, new, not a new team, but a whole new identity that we're moving towards, right? We've moved toward this small ball thing, and it's a all-new continuity. And we talk about how, you know, DeAndre Jordan is not in the rotation anymore. But, you know, this is stuff you'll see with – you'll see you'll see us give us big, big up give, – give up big leads and stuff like that. But I just want to see a little bit more – a little less – rigid in our rotations here and I thought you know Frank kind of pushed the wrong buttons uh tonight and it, you know, it's kind of nitpicking as well at, again like I talked about I'm not sure how much we're gonna win when LeBron has that kind of effort but I would just like to see like us to play a little bit more of a traditional game there with with Dwight Howard because when we're small like that and we're and when you're small and not switching everything that means your help has to be insane or you have physical guards that can protect the rim right like that's what happens when you go small the point of going small is to be able to have a bunch of like-sized guys that can defend. But again, when you're going small and it's Malik Monk and Avery Bradley out there and you have LeBron who's disengaged as the backline center. And again, I'll keep using this caveat. I don't blame him. Just this is what happened tonight. Uh, and again, at the end, there was a lot of plays where, you know, he's jogging back in transition and the Kings get an open three in the corner. But when you have that type of play, I would have loved to see kind of Dwight Howard play. And this is not just about Dwight Howard. I just mean like just from a sense of just changing it up a little bit, play a little more traditional defense. Uh, the Kings, again, are a bad team. They came in tonight 11 games under 500, and they have some talent on that roster, but there's no way uh, they should be scoring at will like they were uh, in the paint. I would just like to make a couple different decisions, right? Show that Marvin Bagley can catch and swing to the corner on the weak side corner, right? And show that, you know, Metu can catch in the paint and swing to the corner. Like, that's stuff that I feel like we should have at least made them go into, and we really didn't. They caught it floater after floater after floater in the rim, and we just kind of, gave them baskets in that way. And it's just, 
it's tough because I feel like we are in such win collection mode now where we, like, obviously you're experimenting with small ball lineups, but you have to kind of play what the game is going as well. Uh, and I really just didn't think we did that. Uh, and I thought tonight felt very similar to Memphis in a way. Obviously, Memphis does it on a higher level. They execute at a higher level. But the way that Jaw just put his head down right and got to the basket on us, Darren Fox did that tonight. Darren Fox averages 27 a game against us uh, on pretty high efficiency. I was seeing to when the when the Kings, uh, excuse me, when the Kings uh, posted his numbers against us, and that's just tough. It felt like a layup line. And when LeBron's not engaged in that way, I think you have to kind of find uh, other ways. Our small ball has a breaking point, right? Defensively, like that's. And when it has that kind of breaking point, you have to kind of switch up there. And if LeBron's not in the Draymond role, then it's just going to be tough for us to kind of survive these type of games, especially when uh, Russ is playing the way he was. And I thought, you know, and I guess I can kind of move on to Russ because I'm sure that's what everyone pretty much wants to hear about. I Well, before I get into that, like, I'm tired of the $44 million conversation. Like, I think that's, you know, been extended as much as it has um, I think bringing up how much Russ makes is pretty negligent to the season. That's an off-season conversation, right? Like Russ, as whatever you want to, if you want to call it, and I don't like using the word asset, but you know that's how uh, people talk when they talk about transactions and stuff like that. That's for the that's for the off-season here. Like there's stuff that Russ does, but my expectations of him, and I think a lot of people have discussed as well, are not to be a scorer or even the second option. And I think. You're seeing that in these last few weeks, right? And he's had a bunch of low turnover games. And uh, I think tonight, let me check how many turnovers he had. Uh, he had one turnover tonight, right? And you're starting to see him in his head a little bit, kind of decide, shot, pass, you know, and those decisions that he just never had to really be as cognizant of when he was the main guy, right? And you're seeing this transition. And I've talked about Russ in terms of, this is a season where he's facing his own mortality, right? And every player kind of gets to that that point. And a, a player like Russ, who's been, you know, not just the number one option, like the only option, right, on a lot of teams, like where in, the, in his last few years, like with Washington, right, he was the number one ball handling option uh, on that team. Bradley Beal was more of a come off, you know, down screen type of offense guy. Russ Westbrook was running pick and roll, you know, with Daniel Gafford, you know, and all those guys and, and the bigs to make their run. But that's not how I see him on this team. And I think tonight in that first half was probably the most off the ball I've seen Russ. Uh, and I've seen LeBron be turned into a full-time screener. And if you go rewatch that first half, it was just all – it was Malik Monk, LeBron screen reactions. It was Avery Bradley, LeBron screen actions. Like, and LeBron full-time screener, like I talked about. He's the full-time finisher. Um, that's kind of what I'm seeing with Russ. And these, you know, these switches from a player, it's never pretty. Right. And uh, I think people have also compared it kind of to Carmelo Anthony. Right. And it wasn't pretty when Carmelo Anthony went through an OKC, which is, you know, it's kind of funny how, you know, these things kind of intertwine because they played together in Oklahoma City. But when it was Russ, Paul George and Carmelo as the third option, when one of those when one of those guys sat out, Carmelo couldn't just fill into the second option. Right. Like he just he was just not at that point in his career. And that's what I'm seeing with Russ as well. And obviously those late game decision makings are always tough and I don't know what that late possession was we were down I believe for LeBron had just hit a layup Russ comes up the left side of the floor LeBron doesn't go get the basketball Malik Monk decides to set a little brush screen LeBron sets a little flare screen for Malik Monk and he just goes stands on the other side and Russ decides 
Harrison Barnes goes under the pick like every player in the league will do when defending him. And he gets you know, an open three that doesn't go. But I think it was interesting in this game to kind of keep it tonight. So Russ started this game with De'Aaron Fox on him, right? And he took him to the basket almost every single time, or even when it was Halliburton or anyone. And in the second half, the Kings switched Harrison Barnes onto him, right? And that really just switched his whole flow of the game. And when that happens, there has to be an adjustment there where Russ has to be like, okay, I have Harrison Barnes on me now. That's not a guy I can overpower to the rim. That's not a guy I can, you know, get to the basket, finish, you know, rock the rock the baby like he did tonight, like on one play. But that's just not a guy you can go through, right? And teams are going to try to throw guys that Russ can't go through. And we always discuss the Lakers-Houston uh, playoff series. The Lakers had Anthony Davis on Russ. They didn't have some, you know, Joe Schmo guarding him, or they didn't have even our good defenders in Alex Caruso and Kyle Kuzma and KCP because he was just too strong. So he would be able to bully to the basket, and we had Anthony Davis to throw on him, and that changed the complexion of that series. And I thought throwing Harrison Barnes on him uh, tonight changed the complexion of tonight for Russ. He was kind of getting to the basket. Uh, he was, uh, again, he's not going to make a lot of those, and he misses a lot more, it feels like, than, than he makes at the rim. Uh, I think I was seeing he was shooting like 52% at the rim on layups and stuff like that. But just his pressure at the basket, and it intertwines to me why I would like to see uh, Dwight Howard um, play a little bit. And let me see if I can kind of uh, share this share this play in the – see here. Bear with me. All right, if you guys can uh, see the play here. So Russ, this is what Russ does, though, right? He's going to attack the rim. So he had Halliburton on him. But when Halliburton gets to the basket, and this is why I want him to, like, especially but when Anthony Davis isn't back, because this would be AD, right? And AD can kind of fill the Dwight role. Obviously, he can fill the Dwight role. But he can fill that offensive rebounder role. And I think that's so important when Russ is playing, especially without LeBron, when he's going to have the ball more at the top of the key. So Russ drives on this play, right? And Alex Lynn has to come over, and the big will mostly come over on a rush drive. Russ can, if Russ gets his his shoulder past the guard, the big will come over, and then you have, I believe that's Harrison Barnes trying to, you know, take away Dwight from the offensive rebounds. And I like to me, that's just stuff that's important right now when AD's out. I don't like when you know, especially when Russ plays without LeBron and no center. So when it's like Trevor Ariza, Carmelo, if our shooter's not Inferno, there are it's like layups at the rim. Ariza still. I thought this was the best Ariza looks, but he's still kind of slow, right? When he's when he's moving around, he's still not quick. Um, and Stanley Johnson is good, but still, Stanley Johnson's an underside center. So, I, like, those are just free points that you can kind of pick up so that every, you know, Russ layup miss at the rim isn't the team going the other way in transition. You know, you can kind of you can kind of pick off some of these easier points there with uh, with Dwight Howard in the game, and that's another reason I'd kind of like him to to get more minutes, especially until AD's get AD gets back. I just think a backup center. Uh, is important. I think, again, our offense was great tonight, and uh, LeBron not being engaged defensively was was part of the reason I think we lost. But that's just stuff, and, you know, this season has kind of, I said it from, like, the fifth game of this year, like, the season has become about acquiescing to Russell Westbrook, and, and I think that I think that's magnified when a, one of our stars gets out, and I'm not telling you to change your expectations because, like, that's just what it is. The contract to me is just negligent for what the season asked for, right? And this is a season we're trying to win a championship. Like, that's the whole point of this year. So what can we do to put Russ in better positions to where we're successful when he's on the floor, right? His contract means nothing once that ball tips up because he's on the team. Like, 
and he's going to be on the team after I don't remember when the uh, trade deadline is, February something, February 15th, I think. But he's going to be on the team after that, I promise you. Russ is not going anywhere for this whole season. So trying to find out places that we can kind of put him. And I think when AD gets back, it does slot him in a little bit better position. But this is not excusing his play, right? Like he can't be missing layups. He can't be taking these awful jumpers. And again, I thought tonight it was just another terrible, I guess, decision-making game from him in terms of when to shoot, when to pass. Again, sorry if I'm rambling here, but I just feel like there's places on the floor you have to put them. And I did a video on the, you know, when we beat the Kings the last time, we went to LeBron, Malik Monk, two-man game every single da- time down the floor. And I don't know why we went away from it tonight. We didn't pick on Buddy Heald at all. We didn't pick on Darren Fox as a defender at all. We didn't force the Kings to do anything, any of those actions. LeBron took 10, uh, he took 12 threes tonight, which I think is just a little too high. And again, maybe that's part of the, that might be intertwined as well into the load managing stuff, not wanting to drive to the rim. But 12 threes to me, it just, I get 29 shot attempts though, total for LeBron. So I can't, you know, be too nitpicky, but you know, 12 threes is a lot. Uh, Three of 12 from three from LeBron and and all that's kind of intertwined, but there's places we have to kind of put Russ there. And it's just, it's just tough to watch him, I guess, in a role that I don't think he was supposed to. I guess, be for this team. And I'm not sure if that's the role that they imagine for him, but this is just not the role that his skill set now asks for, right? He needs to be a guy that's attacking an already compromised defense. He can't be the guy at the top of the key running a pick and roll and trying to make decisions out of that, especially in late game. And I think he's good in transition. We do, we do a nice job, you know, setting some brush screens for him where he can attack a defender that he likes like Metu was a guy that I thought he liked in, in transition. He got a few baskets off that, but they're just stuff we have to kind of find for him uh, and that we're, we're really not doing. Last thing, I want to kind of get into Russ's passing here because I think, I think it's an interesting kind of – Russ passes to areas, not players, right? And, and having a new team, it's kind of hard to find, I guess uh, – it's kind of hard to – how to hard to find players' tendencies when you're not playing much together, right? And I posted a stat tonight that LeBron and Russ uh, with AD at center have only played 195 minutes together, which is absolutely nothing in a season. Stanley Johnson, LeBron, and Russ have already played 88 minutes together. That's over almost half of that time, right? And it's just tough to kind of find stuff. But Russ is a guy, so when he drives, he does around two to three reads, right? So his first read will be the cutter, then he'll look for the opposite corner, right? And that's just, that's every time he drives. And it's a rigid kind of decision making for him. So you'll drive, look for a cutter or look for the opposite wing or the top of the key, right? It's all areas. He's not looking for players on the floor. He's not like looking at players. So when the floor is not spaced that way, it becomes really difficult. And it's why you see those high turnover games, right? So let me see if I can kind of throw another play up here at the top. Again, uh, bear with me a second here. Okay, so this one on this play here, if you can kind of see it at the top, um, if you can kind of see the play at the top here, and again, people listening uh, on the podcast or Dash Radio tomorrow, it's basically just Russ kind of drives from the corner, right, in isolation. So what he does is first read is always that corner, but Ariza cuts, right? Ariza cuts from the wing as his guy turns his head, and he's able to find he's able to find him come to the basket. And that's stuff that Avery Bradley has picked up, but it's just stuff that I think the team has to find out. Because when Russ is driving, it's very rarely just to score. He's looking. He's a he's a pass first guy, and and people kind of use that against him as a triple double, you know, hunter or or however you want to call it. But that's just what he is. He 
he's a pass first guard, which is weird to say for a guy who averaged like 20 something for his first game. But like, that's kind of what he is on this team. And I think this is the kind of stuff that you have to find. And it's why I would like Austin to play a little bit more. If you watch that play again, it's called fill and replace, right? So when, when Ariza cuts, Austin fills his, his spot. Austin, that's why Austin got a bunch of threes tonight as well. They were off Russell Westbrook passes because Austin is very good at, you know, giving guys uh, passing lanes, passing angles uh, to get open threes. And I would like him to kind of play more with Russ as well. But that's just kind of stuff that Russ does. That's the positive stuff that he does. And and looking at him as the $44 million star player, like, that's not the guy you have. That's not the guy on the roster. That's not the guy who's going to be playing in the playoffs. Like, this is the guy you have. This is his skill set. And you have to kind of mold the team around that. And I think, you know, moving this on to, like, Anthony Davis coming back, that's that's the key here, right? Because it's so, and it's not really fair to keep saying, you know, we can't judge this team until this guy gets back. We said that about Ariza. We said that about Kendrick Nunn. But this team is going to be revolved around AD now. And we, I think we've we played 41 games. Russ has played in all 41. I think it's extremely clear what his skills are and what they aren't. And I'm kind of, again, rambling here on, on Russell Westbrook. But I think it's important because I've just seen the conversation that it's tilted to. Like comparing Russ to the combined numbers of KCP, Kuzma, and Harrell is just very misguided, right? Like that's just that's just not the way to kind of, I think, think about this team and think about Russell Westbrook. And it's super frustrating, of course. I just think you're seeing him in the oversized role that he's not supposed to be in. And I, I like that's that's the main point I want to get across here. And it's not about, you know, changing the expectations for him to minimize them. It's just putting them where they are. We have a team that's built around LeBron and AD and Russell Westbrook needs to fit into that. It's it's not a team built around Russ, LeBron and AD, right? It's LeBron and AD surrounded by guys that are supposed to support them. And then Russell Westbrook is a supporting player to them. And again, that sounds strange for a guy with his contract, but again, I keep saying the contract's negligible this season to me. He's on the team. Like there's, there's no, uh, there's no reason to, to you know, continue to uh, to qualm about about that, in my opinion. So there's places to put him. And I keep talking about, I don't think that, you know, four-game win streak or even tonight, because you lose to the Kings, like it throws away what we've kind of built on. We're in a small ball team. We found that putting Russ in the dunker spot is a place he can be effective. Putting him in the stretch baseline where uh, he can attack for offensive rebounds. And those are points that uptick his skill, right? And and that's that's the place we kind of have to place him there. I think that's, you know, enough about Russ. A couple of few things here, and I guess, uh, you know, I'll kind of wrap this one up. So LeBron and Monk have continued to kind of have a palpable chemistry to them, right? And I think, again, without AD, you want to find stuff that translates when he comes back. And I think those two have definitely found a synergy, and I think they've had it since the beginning of the season. But I think the Monk-LeBron screen role, and I talked about how this is the most, you know, LeBron has been a screener in his whole career, right? Like, in my opinion, like tonight, go watch that first half. Every single almost offensive possession, he was screening, which is just something you don't see from LeBron, right? It's just, it's it's incredible to watch him kind of transform into that. And again, that's part of with Russell Westbrook on the team. Like, that's kind of what just this team needs. It needs, you know, LeBron to be a scorer. It needs to him to be the finisher a lot of times, right? Because you have the ball, and Russ's hands on even closeouts on and Malik Monk as well as a ball handler. So LeBron has kind of transformed into this center who's a screener and can score off that. And I think it's been incredible to watch him, you know, move into that transition of his career. But I think Malik Monk, you know, he had a bad game against Memphis and like in the words of Russell Westbrook, 
he's allowed to have a bad game, right? Like I think Malik Mug fills into that. Uh, just another crazy, crazy offensive game. I think we're going to have to kind of find ways where we can put him in better defensive spots. Cause again, I thought the Kings picked on him and our, you know, effort wasn't great with that, but you know, just the, even the, not just the double screen actions, but the regular screen actions where we just can't switch. And again, if our, if LeBron or our center is not engaged in that way, we're just going to get picked on. But I thought Malik Monk, again, just uh, an incredible night for him, at least offensively struggled a little bit in the second half, but six for nine from three, like seven for 13 from the field. Uh, you know, he was a minus 14, which is interesting. But again, I don't think plus minus is is the tell all. But I thought he was just, again, just a, a great offensive punch. And we're starting to run, you know, actions for him too uh, as well. We ran this, we ran a couple like dummy plays where it was like Stanley fake, like coming off a screen. And then he re-screened from Malik Monk. He got open three. Our, our first play of the game was actually an elevator doors uh, option for Malik Monk, which is something new. I think they put in probably the last few days, it looked like. Uh, as Ramon comes off a double screen, where and then it closes at the end of it. It was it was kind of nice to see them kind of move into more offensive options here, and I think that's the important thing. And we're not winning anything though, obviously, with our defense looking like it did tonight. I'm just trying to look at stuff that we can kind of take take forward here. And I guess the you know last thing I'll kind of get into is uh, Austin Reeves, right? Austin, man, just an incredible player that they found undrafted, right? And again, tonight kind of showed why I think he just needs more minutes. Man, in a in a revolutionary move to small ball, I think it's important to have players who are not only good and, and, and try hard on defense, but know what they're doing, right? And I think that's extremely important. And look, expecting Malik Monk to be that kind of defender isn't fair. That's not what he's here. It's not what he's paid to do. But having two-way guys, and, and you know, we prop up two-way guys for a reason, because guys who can, you know, and Austin is such a, He's such a smart player and the Caruso comps are, you know, uncanny and they obviously fit because they're two white dudes that play basketball, but in the NBA, but it's kind of fitting. He's a super and high IQ. We throw that around a lot as well, but just knows how to play off LeBron James. Right. And I think that's important. A guy who knows how to play off your best player and even knows how to play off a of Russ as well. He's a guy, again, I talked about earlier. He knows how to find uh, the open spaces and just defensively. I thought he was our best guy on De'Aaron Fox. Uh, which is interesting. With this is his first player, first you know year in the league. I just thought he was good, and a play that kind of I thought signified it. And again, it's kind of simple stuff here as well. But uh, let's see if I can share this one in in here. So you know Reeves uh, on this play. So Taylor Horn Tucker's. So again, people listening uh, on the podcast or Dash Radio later. So on this play here, you have Taylor Horn Tucker defending Darren Fox, right? And if you watch this play, and I should have slowed it down a little bit more, but Darren Fox kicks it to Alex Lynn. And watch, you know, Austin Reeves' this whole possession. So when Dwight Howard comes over to help on the Fox drive, Reeves is ready to drop down on Alex Lynn. He closes out to Darren Fox. He then picks off Fox, who's in a closeout position, uh, attacking at full speed. Like, that's just, like, that's stuff you can't, you know, teach in a, like, in a just general sense, right? Like, that type of instincts and stuff. It's not like a big deal. It's not flashy. It's not huge, but it's just stuff that he does on a regular basis that you don't see. It doesn't even obviously the steal this time goes up in the in the in the box score, but that's stuff that doesn't really even show up. He'll you know be vertical at the rim and a guy will miss, and he gets zero you know he gets zero credit for those type of plays. But that's why I mean when I think he needs to play more, and he was a plus zero tonight. Um, and I think he came back when we were down like thirteen and brought us all the way back um, before Russ had those tough moments to to kind of that put the lead back, but. I thought he was great. I thought this was the, you know, third or fourth game where, like, he was the main positive. Uh, obviously, he had the game winner against Dallas, but he's just legit good, man. And 
Um, I just wanted to give him a, a shout out here. He has legit defensive and offensive instincts that fit perfectly on a team that's, you know, plays with a lot of players that are very heliocentric. Anthony Davis, post-ups, LeBron James, isolation at the top, Russell Westbrook driving off isolations. Like, you need players that know how to move and fill open spaces, uh, and he's really good at that. Um, I think that's pretty much all I have for tonight. Uh, there's no way to sugarcoat this. Uh, another loss to a very uh, a team 10 games under 500. Um, that's that's not going to be easy. Uh, but I see uh, my man Roosh uh, is requesting. I'll see if I can get to a few people here. Uh, I think I have like 20 or 20 minutes left. Uh, I'll bring Roosh up here. But man, like that's just a, it's a it's a tough night, and I think it's it's interesting to kind of try to break break down instead of just going straight into trade everybody, right? Like it's that that's not happening. So our trade pieces are Kendrick Dunn and THT. The rest of the team pretty much is going to stay the, stay intact, in my opinion. So what can we do to kind of further that? But Roosh, are you there, man? Can you hear me? I don't think I can hear Roosh. Uh, but, but yeah, man, like that's kind of uh, that's kind of the way that I would kind of frame this, I guess, because it's beca- it's come full circle into just Russell Westbrook contract. But Roosh, can you hear me? Okay, I don't think I can I can hear him. Uh, but yeah, the, the conversation devolving into you know Russ's contract and that makes sense for assets and stuff. It's just I just think that that's not the way this team is going to be built, and we're in a title contention mode and Russell Westbrook is going to be on the team when that happens. So I want to try to find out ways that we can kind of build that instead of, uh, instead of, uh, instead of just focusing on that, I guess. Uh, this is the last chance I'll ask if uh, Roosh can hear me. And if not, then uh, I'll kind of move up to a few people here. I think I have like 10 or 15 minutes and then I'll call it a day. Yo, uh, Desmond, can you hear yeah, me? Yeah, can hear you. What's up, man? What's going on, Nothing Desmond? much. Uh, I just got a few comments. Um, I mean, I agree with you, everything you said about wrestling. I mean, we're stuck with wrestling. As much as people want to trade him and, you know, nobody – we can't get enough players to meet that contract with the teams that even want rest. I mean, we're just stuck with rest. But I think I think a lot of this needs to be put on Frank as well. I mean, we Frank needs to get back into <clears> – <throat> Um, playoff mode with his adjustments. Um, I mean, we got to start looking at lineups that actually work. We got to start looking at at positions of players on the offensive end. I mean, we can't stick Russ in a corner. If we stick Russ in a corner, we're playing five-on-four basketball with three-fourths of the floor. Um, I mean, he's not P.J. Tucker over there. People actually respect P.J. Tucker in the corner. You put Russ over there, they're just they're wanting him to shoot. They want that type of offense from the Lakers. They want Russ to go one-on-one. They want Russ to do that little pull-up bank shot. They want Russ to do whatever they on the offensive end to keep the ball out of Monk, Braun, Melo, and then AD when he comes back. I mean, that's what the defense wants. I mean, that's – I think it's easy for anybody to see. Um, so, I mean, I agree with you. We have to find something to do with Russ on the offensive end because he's not – he just hasn't been a positive on the offensive end. He hasn't been a positive on the defensive end. We obviously can't sit – somebody who's making $44 million. So, I mean, there's just something that has to be, has to be done with Russ to where he, he even becomes some sort of a plus or some sort of just an even to where 
you know, we feel like we can we can win because I think I don't think anybody thinks right now that if Russ is pulling if Russ is shooting 15 shots a game, I don't think anybody is comfortable with that. And just the way he's been shooting, the what the shots he has been shooting, the decisions, it's just it's just all confusing to a lot of fans to what Frank is doing and what this coaching staff is doing. And I'll let you, uh, uh, get off and let you uh, discuss that. Sure. And uh, I think, you know, Roosh, are you up there? I don't know if you can hear me now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Can you can you hear me now? I can. But really quickly on your point, Desmond, like I think, you know, Russ is going through a transition, right? And it's, again, I talk about like the zero assist stuff is what we've been, I mean, sorry, not zero assist, zero turnover stuff is what we've been asking for. But again, that has a domino effect to it. And I've always said tempering Russ's aggression to me was never the answer, right? And you can see he's kind of in his head even more now than he was before, right? And and some of that's, you know, convoluted with AD being out. But you can see the the past shoot decisions have become just so more magnified for him. And he's trying not to turn the ball over, which to me has tempered his aggression in a way. So, like, I think there's a fine line to it that you have to kind of find. And I'm okay with some of the turnovers if, you know, if – if, if they're in aggression, I think that's the line we have to feel there. But, Roosh, what's going on, man? Yeah, man, thanks for having me. I, I always like to come and talk uh, Russ with you guys because I think you and I have talked about Russ with the Lakers for, I mean, I don't know. We've done it a lot, basically. We did a whole podcast on it. Yeah, a lot outsider, of it came so. true, honestly. <laughs> a lot of it came yeah, go, true. Hey, go, back and, go back and listen to that State of the Lakers podcast for yourself, Lakers fans, and tell me what you think, if, if we nailed it or if we were on point or what. But, um, as much as people, you know, don't want to talk about it, I feel like it's it's really inevitable, right? Like salary aside, like you said, that's irrelevant to the season. But his role, he was brought in to fill a role, and that role is not being fulfilled, and it's resulting in LeBron overextending himself, right? Like you, we, we've been getting vintage LeBron performances, and the Lakers are still not getting over the hump. They had that stretch where they won, I forget, you know, four in a row, whatever it was, um, you know, albeit against worse competition, and then they ran into the Grizzlies and got beat. And, you know, again, they're losing tonight. Now they're back to 500. We could talk about offense all day, but I think defense is really where it's at. Um, For sure. LeBron has been at his best, man. And and you guys know this better than me, but LeBron's at his best when with the Lakers, when he's got AD and then just three guys that can spread the floor and switch and defend and and who know how to play off of him. I think you've really found something with Austin Reeves. Um, It's kind of incredible how he's like filling the Caruso role, just white boy hooping. But, you got him. I think Malik Monk has looked really good as well. Um, and then once the rotation kind of slims down, I think you just got to hone in and find. Like, I almost hesitate to say that you'd be better, assuming AD comes back, but you'd be better with AD, LeBron, and just three shooters um, because those guys shoot and then they defend. And, like, that formula has proven that it works for the Lakers and for LeBron specifically. And, Le- and, and Russ's issues, as, ma- as many issues as he has on offense because he can't shoot, his turnovers are down, but he can't finish at the rim anymore. And, you know, just when you need him to make a smart play, he does something like he did tonight when it was 121-16, and then he bricked that three. But as much as he does that kind of stuff, he just ball watches so much on defense, and it kills mm-hmm. the connectivity of a defensive scheme, right? Like, there's no – defense is all about communication and moving on a rope, guys filling in for other guys, guys anticipating where the action's going to be and people, you know, stepping where they need to step and then – and then getting back to where they need to get back. I think Austin Reeves does an incredible job of it. You guys have clipped a lot of kind of clips where he, mm-hmm. he's like, you know, switching and, and chasing people off the ball and then getting back and, and playing incredible defense. But too often, man, Russ just kind of sits there and watches. And I think that's the biggest issue. You know, as basketball fans, we love to focus on offense because that's the easiest way we can think of 
you know, to kind of conceive of the game and like, hey, this, you know, you do X, Y, Z, and that's how you win. But I think you're scoring, you know, and I think LeBron has proven that you guys can score. And Malik Monk has, has stepped in in a huge way, and, and he's scoring and shooting well and hitting big shots too. But defensively, like, it's going to collapse. And I, I really wonder – so that's defensively. Then I wonder when AD gets back, does the rust fit get even funnier? Because yeah. AD doesn't stretch the floor, you know, not out to the three, not the way that you need him to for, for the whole rust thing to work. And so it's just kind of crazy to see how much, like – Obviously, I'm spurned as a Rockets fan with, you know, the Russ experiment and how that kind of turned turned out and basically imploded the uh, franchise. That's a different story. But I, I pay attention to how he performs and how teams perform as he hops around and skips around. And it seemed like the Wizards was, was the type of team for him, right? Not high aspirations, just happy to make the play in. He could get the ball, get the rock, do his thing, and just play Russ basketball, you know, great stats, kind of turns over, turns the ball over, doesn't play good defense, not winning basketball. And so now, now he's with the Lakers and the expectations are higher. And he was brought in to kind of carry the, carry the load so that LeBron could chill. But that's all gotten messed up with AD out and Russ isn't carrying the load. So now LeBron has to step in and be, be like LeBron. The, the guy that just spoke said Frank needs to get in the playoff um, adjustment mode. But I think that's a lot to ask halfway through the season to, you know, be making like playoff intensive adjustments with a roster that's simply not defending to the caliber that you need. And I think it, it bodes poorly on, on the other end of that spectrum though, I will say as long as you guys limp into the playoffs and everyone is healthy, anything can still happen. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, but, but I just don't know how you solve it defensively is my only issue. Like offensively, I really think you could bench for us. Well, maybe that, maybe that's all the defensively if you bench for us. But, but offensively, I think you could just go LeBron, AD, or even like LeBron and Dwight and just three shooters, and you could win some regular season games. Um, but then on defense, man, it is where it all falls apart for me. So I guess you guys are going to be faced with the question of do you bench him? Um, and if you do, you know, how do you see that playing out? Like, is that even a possibility for you? It's not for me. I, I don't think you can bench him. He's not Montrez Harrell, right? Like, you can't just sit him on the bench. Like, he, that's just not how this works. And you said, you know, you can just put – three players, you know, LeBron AD with three shooters and defenders, like, you're probably right. Like, that's been a proven formula. I think that they have to be a certain, you know, level of 3 and D guy to at least to at least make that work. But you're probably right. This is a brand new thing to me. And my whole thing was, it's obviously been ugly. And there's enough people rage tweeting and rage podcasting where I don't really need to fill that void, right? I think that void is there. And it's understandable why it's there. And I, I don't just I don't think those people are necessarily wrong. I just think like, putting energy into that is very, you know, it doesn't really make sense to me. Like, it's very clear what Russ is to me. I have, 40, I have 41 games, Roos, of watching every single, some of these games twice, right? Watching Russell Westbrook and watching what his skills are and aren't and what his tendencies are. And it's tough because, you know, this season started and we kind of had both. And then LeBron went out, right? Uh, he was out for like two weeks and then AD went out. AD was in and out and then AD went out full time uh, a couple weeks ago. So now you don't really have those three. And even when they were together, we didn't have any of our wings, right? So we were playing like Malik Monk with Avery Bradley, you know, with them. And we had no wing players to to throw on the floor. So it was never really a full team. And now you get this, which is probably the most maximized version of him, right? It's supercharged. It's LeBron in the Clint Capella role, like you would in in the, you know, in the PJ Tucker role, I'm sorry, on, on Houston. And, you know, you can kind of fill AD back into that. But like, I'm at the point where in like we talked about this on the preview pod, but like I'm at the point where like Russ to me is now 
a complementary piece to the two stars, right? And I think that's the way I look at it, and it's kind of lessened the frustration, I guess, by me for, you know, for the season because I kind of understand how I would view him. Like, when I don't expect Russ to, you know, make his open threes, and I think, you know, it's a better decision for him not to take those, and I think that's something we can kind of work towards. But you can see it in his head, man. It's obviously, like, no turnover games are, are super rare from him, and he's had two in the last, like, four games. You can see him in his head even more, and I don't think that's the place we need to get that. There has to be a fine line here. I think we found positive stuff, like in the him in the dunker spot, him as the center um, in a lot of actions where they invert stuff. Him and LeBron's screen roll, I think, is something we can kind of build on. But you're right, man. It's going to be tough, but I don't think he's benchable. And the defense, obviously, he's a, he's a ball-watching, uh, like turnover-creating, chaos-creating defender, right? And that's doesn't really fit a defensive scheme, right? So, like... Vogel Vogel loves to work. Vogel loves to run like a drop coverage type of scheme, and Russ is more of a gambling type where like he'll play off his guy, and that's why I don't like him on guys like Buddy Heald um, and, and guys like that because you know you have to kind of be you can't look away. You have to be focused. You have to be attached. You have to top lock those type of guys. And Russ is a guy who will cheat over. Uh, Desmond Bain got a bunch of threes on him that way uh, on our last game. So like it's interesting, kind of fitting. Like even though he's a complimentary player, you have to fit his skills around our stars, which is a weird way to kind of put that. But I think that's where we are. Does that make sense, Roosh? You know what I'm saying there? Yeah, no, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, last thing I just wanted to say real quick is I just want to caution people because I, I saw the Lakers fans talking about it. I know as Rockets fans, we talked about it. And, you know, to Russ's credit, he does try to change. And mm-hmm. he deserves credit for trying to change his game and fit. But I just want to caution people, man, when you got a guy that's, you know, in his, what is he, 33 now, won an MVP, has been playing the way he's been playing, you know, fantasizing or theorizing about ways he can change his game to like fit the perfect scheme for a team is often fool's gold, or at least in some, to some extent. But Roosh, wouldn't you say he's facing his mortality though? Now, like I see it even more than I think I've, like you watch him every day for Houston, but like, I feel like he's, or am I being like hopeful, I guess here? Cause I feel like he's facing at least somewhat mortality. I feel like the low turnover, kind of switch there is a product of that does that or is that well no no he is facing his mortality but the low turnovers have been a very recent thing prior to i mean he's still averaging four and a half turnovers a game i'm talking Um, about recently yeah for sure but but no he's faced i mean look he's you're right he's trying he's like taking off he has no lift right he can't Mm -hmm. finish around the rim um in the ways that he used to he's like getting hung on the rim sometimes it's just like he'll he'll make the move to the basket and just straight up lose the ball you know And, and he's going through it but I think they go hand in hand, you know, like he's still trying to play like the guy he knows how to play like, cause that's what he made his career off of, you know, this, this deep end. And, and I'm just saying turning that switch is, is hard. It's never know? pretty either. It's not a pretty like switch when people turn it. It's not, I mean? especially when your game is predicated on athleticism, his whole game was burst and, and thunder, you know, and, and there was the finesse. He had some finesse at the rim. People remember and kind of talk about like, Oh, he used to have that elbow jumper. Yeah, he did, but not at the rate that, like, you'd really – if you go back and look at the numbers, he doesn't really hit it the way that we kind of think he used to hit it in, like, 2013 and 14, and now it's completely gone. So when you don't have any skill to polish, you know, when you lose your burst and when you lose that thunder, this is kind of what you're seeing. Like, some nights he's got it, but some nights, man, it's just ugly. And also credit to Melo because Melo really polished his game to kind of – you know, he wasn't like a deadly three-point shooter. He was a capable three-point shooter. Yeah. But he but he made his career last by really getting his touch and his skill refined to the point where, you know, he can still hoop like that, um, or, or at least like a lesser version of himself. But but yeah, with Russ, I mean, you're gonna have to, gonna have to hope that like dunker spot or cutting off the corner or something like that really works. Um, but 
that's why we all scratched our heads when the move was made, man. LeBron needs three and D. LeBron needs guys that catch and shoot from the corners, guys that catch and shoot from the wings, or guys that catch and close out with efficiency. And, and you know, that's really not Russ's game. So it's kind of sad to see him facing his mortality. Um, and, it's you know, I think the, the hardest part to watch is, like, on a night where he's 2 of 12, Lakers on an 8-2 eight, eight to two run to cut the lead, 8-0 run to cut the lead to 2, then De'Aaron Fox hits the bucket game point game, mm-hmm. minute yeah. left, and then he just stares his mortality in the fucking face and just bricks the shit out of that three. It's, it's sad to see. Um, but there, I just think there are ways around it. He just, you might have to just minimize his role. He played 37 minutes tonight. Obviously there's injuries, but I feel like if you, if you decrease his minutes or maybe if you get something from like a Kendrick Nunn or if Ariza can get kind of back to form, then maybe you just spread those minutes out throughout the regular season. But, but I don't know, man, look in a playoff game, in a playoff series, you guys know this better than anyone. And you you hit on it with the fact that the Lakers had Caruso kind of bodying him, and then you had AD, everything funneled into AD. So it's not like you'll necessarily face that. But let's say you face like a DeAndre Ayton in the playoffs, for example. You know, Phoenix is just going to be funneling Russ into the middle and then living with the results. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to be the biggest thing to get around. I still don't think it's impossible. I still think the Lakers have a chance. I'll never count LeBron out. And AD hasn't been playing, so obviously that's going to change the results here. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. But defensively, man, that's that's where it's all at for me. Defensively. No, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And like, I don't think you know, putting him in the dunker spot sounds like some you know demotion or something like that, or you know, regulating him there. I just think like, to me, it was never about like tempering him, like because that's what's happening right now, right? Like because you could see him just decide less. Like that's why I think the jumpers are coming because he's like, oh, this is my time to attack I need to score here instead of being like okay let me read like what am I supposed to do do I drop like it's more like oh I need to shoot this because I haven't got a shot in a while right and then he'll take like three straight jumpers because he hasn't had the ball in his hands for like five to six minutes straight because we run offense through Malik Monk now and run offense even uh through THT like when THT and Russ share the floor now THT has the basketball like Russ is put on the weak side and uh he just stands there and I'm sure that's such an adjustment for him and you know he had that press conference as well where Dave McMenamin asked him like as a point guard and he laughed like you know like that's funny like I'm essentially like saying like he's not really up in a point guard's role right now and again that you know this I don't you know Russ after a loss is always you know in, in an interesting press conference but like he's definitely going through that adjustment I never thought that adjustment would be pretty um, and it's better to happen in Feb- in January than in, April, in March, I guess. Um, I just would like to see it with AD back, of course. But nothing you said there is wrong, man. It's just this is a new thing, I guess. Like the, the Ru- LeBron, AD, and three three and D players has worked. It's just this is brand new. Like I don't know if it works. I just know that this is not what the team is, and this is like judging this team right now is tough because I don't think hey, they have their central piece. Based on how tapped in you are is there any chance that the Lakers look to move him? Because obviously I think the only realistic no. destination yeah. is, is, you know, you could bring in a good old John Wall, who I actually think would fit a little bit better. But is that realistic whatsoever from the Absolutely, Lakers' perspective? Absolutely not, man. There's just there's just no way. And it's not even just the outside stuff, right? He, he was brought in as an L.A. guy. He was, you know, L.A. roots. That was, you know, a huge marketing point from the Laker team. And I'm not saying they were wrong to do that because, of course, Russ is an L.A. guy. You're going to bring that stuff up, right? And the kid coming home, right, is the stuff that it was kind of uh, put in, you know, exclamation points and stuff like that. And it's not just that. You don't – you're not going to get anything close, like, that's going to help you win this year trading Russ. Like, it just doesn't get you anything. And some people have asked, 
Jason asked me on the last podcast, is the team better if you just take Russ off it and you get nothing back? And I disagree with that. I don't think that's true either. And that's just not how, you know, it works. I don't think you can take off Russ from this team and they're better. I think we've seen what our guards are like, you know, when, when he's, when him and LeBron aren't, aren't there, but it, it's interesting though, but no, I don't think he's going anywhere, man. Like there's just no way. I mean, I think that's, that's so interesting. Cause we used to see, we used to think the same thing, right? Like there were times where it took Russ a minute to fit, to fit in Houston. And for a minute it looked really good, but everything other than that was very inconsistent and up and down. There were, there were super high highs and super low lows. And a lot of, Rockets fans really thought like, man, let's just just give me James Harden and four guys that can hustle and shoot. Um, and we didn't have the luxury of Anthony Davis, but obviously LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you know, I mean, yeah. you won a championship with, you know, role players. So I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I, I really don't. And it's drastic. Like the optics of Benjamin. Bruce, he's a high level role player. Like that's what Russell Westbrook is. Like take away the contract, take away, you know, the star, the 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 fashion but, icon, but all that stuff. Subs- but the substance and the context of the role he plays, like I said, you need shooters. I mean, plain and simple, you just need guys that hit threes, yeah. you know, and defend, right? Like his role, he he's a role player, but not by choice and not by, you know, I don't know how to yeah. word it, but he his game isn't playing a role, right? His game is, he's playing superstar basketball, but it's just not working right now. Sometimes it works, right? Some nights, like earlier in the season, he had, he had some nights where it really worked. But then you have the nights where he's just like two or 13 or whatever it was. Um, yeah. And I, I do, I don't know, the outsider perspective, but I do think it actively makes the Lakers less, just less scary. Like against bad teams, like Russ went off against the Rockets. He killed us. So, you mm-hmm. know, against bad teams, it'll work. But I feel like when you get to those good teams, Warriors, Suns, maybe yeah. even Phoenix, uh, Utah, you know, it'll it'll just be an issue. But but I don't know. I appreciate you letting me speak, though, man. So thank you. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and those good teams are never going to, like, go – go over on a rush screen, right? Like you saw some bad teams do that. They're always going to play off him. They're going to go to his tendencies. It's going to be interesting. I don't have the correct answer. I just like, and people are saying, you know, I'm giving Russ excuses, but like, I just don't think that's the player he is right now. He is not a second star type of guy who can carry you. And he might even be lower than that right now. He might even be, he's probably playing lower than a third star, you know, quote unquote. But to me, he's not a star. He's a, you know, he's a high functioning role, contemplative, complimentary piece on this team and maybe that's just a problem in terms of roster construction we can speak on that later but just him as a basketball player and his skill set he's like the fourth option on offense and on defense there's a lot of plays where he goes for steals and stuff like that and that works and I honestly I think going small you kind of lend towards being more of a chaos turnover turnover creating defense but that's just where we are right now with the Russ experience and when AD gets back we'll get a full more full picture here it's just I think we're looking at you know, half the screen before we get him back. But uh, Rush, I appreciate you coming up. I'm going to close this out. I think I've been going for like an hour now. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, This has been the State of Lakers podcast and uh, I'll catch you guys next time.